are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Defining moments. In 1985, 36 years ago, most of you were not born, um, I graduated from Trevecca Nazarene University in Nashville, Tennessee, and I loaded all of my earthly belongings into a Ford Fiesta. The name of that car just says party, right? And I drove to Kansas City, moved myself to Kansas City to go to seminary. The first night that I was there, I got up together with a bunch of my college friends from Trevecca who had also gone to Kansas City to go to seminary to start that fall. This was in August, and they said to me, you're not going to believe who lives in Kansas City. And I said, who? And they said, Annette Stone lives here. Well, I had never met Annette Stone, and they were surprised because I knew Annette's sister's and Annette knew my sisters. We shared so many friends, but we had never met. Even though we went to the same university, she had left in the spring, and I got there the following fall as a transfer student. So we'd never met. And so all I heard about from Wednesday night until Sunday morning was, you're going to meet your wife Sunday morning at church. Are you excited? And they were saying the same thing to Annette to the point that we finally we're like, okay, we've had enough, you know, and, and so I, I actually said on the way to church, I don't think I'm even going to speak to her. You guys are driving me nuts, which made the rest of the car ride to church kind of quiet. So when we get to church, I see Annette coming down this sparrow stairway, and, uh, and when I looked at her, I thought to myself, why should I penalize this poor young girl for something her friends have done? She is innocent. And, and actually, when I saw her, I really wanted to speak to her. In fact, I want to speak to you right now. How you doing? Yeah. And so, um, so anyway, because of, you know, the whole thing, nobody introduced us because they thought, okay, now we've kind of pushed it too far. And so sitting in church, like you're sitting, she's setting three people down from me. I leaned forward and I said, hey, are you Annette? And she said, I am Annette. And I said, I'm Rick. It's nice to meet you. And she said, it's nice to meet you, Rick. I did not know it. But that moment would change the trajectory of my life and set me on a course that I would follow from that moment on. Now you think about what that did to my life. It's kind of a fun story and I love to tell it. When church was over, we're standing there just talking, and they're kind of moving things around in the same room, setting up for a lunch for new seminary students, and my friends had talked to Nett into staying, and the pastor of the church is walking around meeting all the new students, and he says to me, what's your name? His name was Keith Wright. He later, uh, or earlier, he had, he had actually been on staff here at BFC, and I said, my name's Rick Harvey. Where are you from, Rick? And I said, well, I'm a Trevecca boy, thinking that's what he meant, and he says to Annette, what's your name? And she said, my name is Annette, and, and, and he does this. He turns around to his wife, who is talking to all of our friends who are watching us meet for the first time, and he says, Liz, come over here. I want you to meet Rick and Annette Harvey. Annette's face, you know, showed that something was up, and he said, oh, I'm sorry, I've said something wrong. And I said, no, 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 it's good. Let God work. I like what's happening here. This is all good. Leave it alone. So anyway, um, a year later, we were, we were married. When I think about this, 
I realized that if we had not met that day, if we'd never gotten married, Brittany and Morgan would not exist today. My little granddaughter Sadie would not exist today. The people that Annette and I are closest to in our lives would not even exist. Annette's family would not be my family. And today I'm telling you, Annette's family is my family. My family would not be Annette's family. Do you understand when I say that was a defining moment in our lives and we had no idea that that moment, the trajectory of our lives changed drastically and we were set on a course that we would follow from that moment on. Think about it. I mean, I, I could just go on and on with how my life is so different because Annette and I met that day and we eventually became married and, and today we're still together 30, 35 years later. So I think that's a good definition. Now, you don't have to like it. You can disagree with it. I wrote it myself, so argue with me about it. I'm okay with that. But an extreme definition of defining moment would be when you experience something that changes the trajectory of your life and sets the course that you will follow from that moment on. That is a very <laughs> extreme definition of what a defining moment is. When you experience something that changes the trajectory of your life and sets the course that you will follow from that moment on. Now, you've had many defining moments in your life. You can look back and see them. And so I just thought I would give you a list of examples and we could talk about them a little bit together, okay? So I talked about marriage a moment ago with me and Annette. Uh, there's other people who would say, you know what, Pastor Rick, when my husband or my wife filed for divorce, that changed the trajectory of my life. And it set the course for my life from that moment on. Or, or maybe the college that I chose, I, I cannot begin to tell you what an impact choosing a college has had on my life. I went to Trevecca Nazarene University in Nashville, Tennessee. They helped form my theology. They formed what comes to my mind when I think about God. Think about what an impact that had on I made lifelong friends there that have had such an influence on my life. Uh, when you make career choices, the career path, when you start a job, when you quit a job, th th this one overwhelms me. When a person becomes expectant of a baby, uh, in my house growing up, we didn't say the word pregnant, we said expecting, you know. Becoming a parent, knowing you're going to become a parent, changes the trajectory of your life. I've been amazed at how many young couples I have watched their life just change when they realized we're going to have a baby. Decisions you make about money, when you come to that moment in your life, we're going to get out of debt. That's a defining moment. Maybe you make a financial decision that has a negative impact on your family. You say, wow, that was a defining moment in our life. Decisions about health. The way that you respond to God when God calls you, when God speaks to you, when God draws you to himself, your response becomes a defining moment. There is no greater moment in my life that I can talk to you about this morning than the day that God gave me the grace to respond to Jesus and say, yes, I will follow you. Crisis. Conversation after conversation where people have said to me, 
It was 10 o'clock on a Monday morning in a doctor's office over here that the doctor said to me or to someone that I love, you're now diagnosed with this illness. And from that moment on, our lives changed. Never to be the same again. Or when you lose someone that you love in death, a friend, a family member. When I think about crisis, I think about 11 days ago in Surfside, Florida, when the South Towers of that condominium complex began to fall at 1.20 in the morning. I've watched that video many times. I bet you've watched it. 55 apartments, condos came crashing to the ground. I turn on the news early in the morning and they say something like two children's remains were discovered. It tears me up inside. It messes with me. And there are many people who are so closely associated to those now what they estimate 145 people will have lost their lives. And you're going to say to people over the years, talk to me about defining moments, and they're going to say June 24th, 1.20 a.m. Our lives changed forever when we lost people that we love in that crisis. Defining moments. Historical events. This is July the 4th. Do you know that the forefathers of this country gathered together and said, we have made a decision in this moment that we will fight for our independence. And it changed the trajectory of American history forever. And there are thousands of those examples that we could cite. See, I, I think the reason that we, we are drawn to this conversation is because that we all can relate. We all can look back on our life and say, that was a defining moment in my life. It, it was at that moment that my life changed. And, and it will never be the same from that. Some of those examples are positive and some of them are very negative. But we can all look back and say, right there it was. That, that, was the, that was the time, that was the moment when my life changed. It was a defining moment in my life. It set the course that I would follow from that moment on. Defining moments in life. What are some of the most significant defining moments in your life? You're not even challenged to think about them, are you? Do you know what might be the greatest defining moment in all of history? I think you could argue that it would be the resurrection of Jesus. To that point, he was another guy who claimed to be the Messiah. But when he predicted his own death and his own resurrection, and then he did it, it changed the course of history. And today he is the most influential person who has ever lived in the history of the world. 
of the almost 8 billion people who live on this planet, a third claim to follow his teaching. And it's all because of a defining moment in history when he raised from the dead. Think about it. One day, a young boy. I see some young boys right over here. It's family worship Sunday. Hey, guys. <laughs> They're giving me thumbs up. They're waving at me. I wish you could see them. A young boy was out in the field with his sheep, his father's sheep. Because that was his job. That was his role in the family. He was the shepherd boy. His name was David. And he looked and saw someone running to him. David, 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 screaming out, David, come. Your father's asking for you. And David goes with him. And when he gets to his father, his seven brothers are with his father. And there's also with his father a prophet of God whose name is Samuel. And Samuel looks upon the face of David with great relief and pleasure. <laughs> so you're David. Yes, I'm David. And he says, David, fall on your knees. And in that moment, young David, a boy, fell to his knees, and the prophet of God took a horn of oil, and he poured it over his head, and he anointed him in the name of Yahweh. You are the king of Israel. And from that day on, David's life would never be the same. What are you trying to say? Well, I want to say a lot of things this morning. But one of the things I want to say is you don't get to pick your defining moments. You don't get up one morning and say, I'm going to have a defining moment today. We don't find defining moments. They find us. I'll say it again. We don't find defining moments. They find us. And if you're a shepherd, it might be while you're watching your father's sheep. And if you're a school teacher, it might be while you're teaching kids. And if you're a student, it might be when you're in a classroom. And if you work in the office, it might be down at the office. It might be when you're driving your car down the road. It might be when you're with family. But moments come that are defining for our lives. Let me tell you about David's defining moment, okay? So the Lord said to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you want to open your Bible with me, verses 1 through 13, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Now, uh, very briefly, the story goes like this. Israel said, we want a king. And God said, well, I'm, I'm leading you. That's called a theocracy. No, 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 we want a monarchy like all the other countries. They have kings. And Samuel said, God, this is not good. And God said, it's, it's not you they're rejecting, Samuel. It's me they're rejecting. So give them a king. And so they gave him, them rather Saul, to be king. But God reject, rejects rather Saul as king. So the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? 
fill your horn with oil. Be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, well, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what to do. You're to anoint for me the one that I indicate. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Oh, Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord, so consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. This is Jesse's oldest son. And thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. You've got to lean into these next few words. I mean, you've got to hear this, okay? You, look up here at me. Everybody look at You've got to hear these words. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So then Jesse called to Benadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. And Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. Okay, I want you to listen to these words too. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. A cross I have had to bear all of my life. Yeah, right. Thanks for your laughing at my joke. So then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, from that moment on, a defining moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David, and Samuel then went to Ramah. He went back home. Five weeks ago on Thursday night, I was eating dinner with some friends, and I got a phone call. My phone was laying on the table, and I could see that it was my brother, Terry, calling. And so I did that deal where you just hit, you know, send a text, and I said, hey, I'm eating dinner with some friends uh, do I need to step out and call you or can I call you later? And he says, no, call me now. Concern me, of course. He lives in Kentucky where all of my family lives. And so I stepped out and I called and I said, Terry, what is it? He said, it's Linda. Now, Linda is our sister. So my brother Terry is the oldest and then Linda and then Darla and then me. I'm the youngest, but not spoiled, which is, I think, miraculous that that didn't happen. And so he said, Linda's been in a wreck. It's bad. He said, they have flown her in a helicopter 
which would be a two-hour drive, but they've flown in a helicopter to the University of Kentucky Hospital in Lexington. He said, I don't know really how bad. I mean, I think she's going to live, I think, but it's just hard to really know what's up. So to make a long story short, five weeks later, Linda's now had four surgeries. She broke her right femur, multiple breaks, compound breaks in her ankle on her left leg, broke four ribs, multiple spinal fractures, concussion, shaken up pretty bad. But after four surgeries, it looks like she's going to walk again. And she's in rehab now, of course. You, you, you might say, is Linda asking, why me? You'd have to know Linda. Um, she is asking, why me? Why, why do I get to live after a head-on collision at that speed when others don't? And, and why do I get to walk again when other people don't? It doesn't seem fair, does it? And she talks a lot about the presence of God and how close God has been with her through all of this. And when Annette and I got to see her last week when we had gone home for a family funeral, we were so grateful that we got to spend time with her and, and, and our spirits were lifted by being with her. Linda knows tragedy. Her husband passed away when he was only 52. She had been widowed since. But Linda just talks about God's so close through it all. You know, when I got that phone call that night, I remember where I was standing. I knew this was a defining moment. I knew that Linda's life would be changed to some degree forever. The trajectory would change. She would follow a course from that moment on that was different. I didn't know exactly what it meant, but I knew it would be. However, there are other times in our lives when you only realize experiences or defining moments as you reflect on them. You just, you, you kind of look back on it one day. And you kind of scratch your head and you say, you know what? That, that's really when it happened. That's when, it, that's when everything changed. Let, let, let me give you a scripture real quick, okay? This is uh, what I read to you a moment ago. From that day on, from that moment on, that's when it happened. That was the defining moment. That's when everything changed. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And the writer looks back and says, when we think about David's life, you realize that that's when it happened. That was the defining moment for David. That's when everything changed, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. I, I love these words in the next chapter, chapter 17, verse 14. It says, David succeeded in everything he did because God was with him. And so I got a feeling that there's times when you reflect on your life, and you look back and you say, you know what? It was from that moment on, from that day on, that was the day that things changed me. I, um, I came home from a pastor's retreat a couple of years ago, and I'd heard a story about um, kind of a famous preacher 
who had uh, decided to change his prayer life all around. He said, I'd always tried to practice listening to my prayer life, but I was probably listening about 10% of the time and talking about 90% of the time. And, and he said, what I did was I began to try to listen 90% of the time and only talk 10% of the time. So my mom and I have talked a lot over the last couple of years about learning how to listen and pray. He said, when I began to pray like that, I realized that way more of my prayers were getting answered. And so a few months ago, I was reading and I wrote this in my phone. It was something Mother Teresa said. Because I've been intrigued with listening in prayer ever since. She said, prayer is not asking. Now, I understand scripturally we're encouraged to ask. So you've got to hear the whole, the whole deal, okay? She says, prayer is not asking. It's putting oneself in the hands of God at His disposition and listening to His voice in the depths of our hearts. Prayer is not asking. It's putting oneself. It's putting our whole life in God's hands. God, today as I come before you, I'm putting my whole life in your hands. At your disposition. Listening from the depth of my heart what you want to say to me today. It's very different, isn't it? What a different way to pray. Here I am, God. I'm just putting my life in your hands. At your disposition, listening with everything in me to what you want to say to me in this moment. What did God say to Samuel? It's not Eliab, Samuel. I know when you look at him, you're impressed. He's tall. But God doesn't look at what man looks at. People look at appearances. But God looks at the heart. And in this story, you learn something about God. And I want to know more about God, don't you? And what you learn about God... It's simply this, that God is looking for people with hearts that say, God, I'll do whatever you want. When you get to the gospel of, or rather to the book of Acts, written by Luke, he recalls Simon Peter talking to people in Antioch, and here's what Peter says. God testified concerning David. I have found David, son of Jesse. God says, a man after my own heart. Listen to this. He will do anything I ask him to do. God's not looking for somebody who says, I'll figure it out, God. I'll come up with a plan. I'll, I'll make something work here. God, no, I... God says, I, I can see the big picture. I see how all the puzzles fit together. I can see the future. 
I, I don't need you to figure it out. I just need you to follow me. And Paul goes on to say about David, when David served God's purposes, he fell asleep. He died. When God did everything, David did everything God asked him to do, okay, my life's done. Okay. We know how David responded to a defining moment. Okay, God, do whatever you want me to do. Did he do it perfectly? No, he goofed up really bad a few times. He found himself coming back saying, Lord, I want, I want your presence more than I want those decisions I made. I'm sorry. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. But David's response to a defining moment was, what does God want? Now, now here's where you and I stand today. How will we respond to the defining moments in our lives? Really simple. Your response to defining moments will determine the direction of your life and your eternal destiny. So, let me just uh, let me just take a, about two more minutes here and just say to you, if, if your view of your life is that um, you're just kind of bouncing through history off different things that happen. I was born and this happened and I kind of bounced off that and then this happened and I kind of bounced off that. That was a good thing. And then this happened and I kind of bounced off that. That was a really bad thing. And then this happened and I kind of bounced off that. And my life has just kind of been going along, just kind of bouncing off defining moments, you know, just kind of bouncing around. No. No. God created you. You are His. He made you. You have purpose. God has a plan for your life, like He had a plan for David's life. God has things for you to do to accomplish. And when those things happen in life, God even uses those defining moments in your life. Sometimes God brings those defining moments into our lives. Not, not sickness. God doesn't do that. God's not the author of those things. The enemy is the author of those things. But God uses and works through all situations in our life to bring you to this place that God desires you to be and to use you in the way that God wants to use you. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. There is sin in this world. There is shame. There is regret. There is pain. There is agony. But the good news is that there is hope through Jesus. And God wants to restore what has been broken and God wants to restore the brokenness in your life and God wants to use you to restore the brokenness in others. God has a plan for you and He will work through those situations. You're not just bouncing around. You are a person of purpose. And as much as David had a calling on his life, you have a calling on yours. 
I feel like there's a lot of emotion in this conversation. And uh, I just want to pray. Would you, would you stand with me, Lord? I, I, I just feel this morning that there's, there's a whole lot going on here. We've all been affected so deeply by what we would refer to as those defining moments in our lives. Some really positive, some very negative, some very painful. We're responding to those. We don't get to choose when they come. But they come with regularity. Be with us in these moments, I pray. So as we sing this morning, uh, I'm going to ask these guys to come on up. And, um, you know, I, I want to... I want to open the altar in, a, in kind of a broad sense. Maybe, maybe you've experienced something recently in your life and you're responding to that moment now. Maybe it's somebody that you want to pray for who is going through something like that. Maybe it's a, a son, a daughter, a, a family member that you want to pray for. Maybe it's sickness that you're dealing with and you want to be prayed for, for healing. I'll, I'll be right over here and Casey is right over here near me and Pastor Corey is right here. We'll, we'll kind of stand along the front and if you want one of us to pray with you, we'd be glad to pray for you this morning. But it may be that many of us would want to just kind of gather around an altar. If that seems too awkward for you, you can pray where you are, you know that. But you can also come forward to pray. And I don't want to define for you what you want to pray about. I just feel like God's speaking to us. And I feel like there's a lot of layers here. If you want to pray today, I would just say don't, don't walk out the doors without spending some time talking to God about what you're feeling in your heart. So let's sing and let's pray together. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.